Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan, and today we've got Chris Larson, Senior Director of Clean Energy for DynaPower. Excited to talk with Chris today. Hey, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Great to see you. Ted, great to be here. And, and where are you sitting as we speak? Are you in Burlington, Vermont, as we speak? I, I'm not in Burlington. I'm Ted, I'm, I'm actually up in Buffalo, New York. I was up here for uh, the Bills game yesterday, so I'm, I'm a bit... Uh out of my element but but all's well all's well because you're a bills fan and they eat and they eked it out apparently uh let's 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 go in this particular case hey a win's a win yeah now i've already introduced you as the um as the senior director of clean energy at dynapower and we're going to get pretty heavily into your your current works but but if you could just give a just an elevator pitch about what dynapower is Yes, yeah, sure. Uh, so Dynapower is a power electronics company that's been building world-class power electronics since 1963. So it's been around for just over 60 years. We just had our 60th uh, anniversary last month, which is pretty cool. And Dynapower is, um, you know, it's interesting, Ted, you know, you look at sort of who we are and where we came from as a company. Founded in Detroit by, by John Pollock back in 1963, really to provide power electronics for the auto industry, more specifically to do the, um, the, um, uh, the metal surface finishing for the auto parts industry. We did all the power supplies that, 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 that fed into the machines that would finish the metals that went into the cars into Detroit. So that was our power electronics heritage. And so doing this work and then you know the the the, the company evolves it's a family company hmm. john's son peter pollock takes over the company and uh peter who had taught at the university of vermont taught uh, uh uh high energy physics at the university of vermont had fallen in love with vermont and when he took over the company from his father said hey we're going to move the company to uh to vermont you know his father Father thought that was the, the craziest thing you'd ever heard, but anyhow, it actually happened. 1989 relocated from from Detroit, and and you know basically 90% of our customers at that time were within a 50 mile radius of Detroit. So you can imagine how risky a move that was. But uh, so for lifestyle reasons, we were moved to Vermont. Yep. Not and, bad. Um, not bad. So not bad at all. And and you know what's what's happened. The evolution is really interesting because we we went from you know if you look at us today. So if somebody unfamiliar with Dynapower goes to our website, says, oh, my goodness, this company is all about clean energy, really focused on uh, um, electrification, uh, clean uh, technologies. And it, it seems like quite a departure from, from our original roots. But we've maintained the work that we do in the metal finishing industry, and we've expanded that quite a bit. Uh, and we've managed to, um, to really build a... Uh, a fantastic business around the work that we're doing in clean energy, but also maintaining the work that we do in um, uh, high efficiency power electronics for uh, the industrial space. So that that me, core me, business um, is still there. Right. Let me let me drill into that core business just for a second. Maybe you can dumb it down a little bit because your your point you use this term power electronics, and I kind of get I'm here. I'm thinking very simplistically. You've got these utility lines coming in to a facility, I guess in this auto industry facility for metal finishing or something, the wires arrive. And then I always call it the switch gear where the wires arrive and where you've got the meter mm -hmm. 
is that is it the switch gear that you're calling the power electronics? I mean, educate me. Yeah, so so we would pick it up on on the other side of the switch gear. So no, the switch gear is something separate. And we we actually don't really do any work in that particular space. So imagine we're in simple terms is we're basically taking for that application, Ted, we're taking the AC from the grid, the grid grid power AC and converting yeah. it to DC. So it's a rectifier in that particular case. We might generically call it a power supply, but really we're rectifying that AC, converting it to DC. And as our business has evolved, we've done a lot of other configurations as well. So we also do the opposite direction. In fact, a lot of the work that we do in clean energy is, is the opposite yeah. direction where we're taking DC from batteries, for example, or from ultra caps and then converting it to great quality AC. Uh, in hydrogen, we're going the other direction again, from AC to DC, providing high current uh, DC power for the electrolyzers. Yep. And then we yep. also do DC to DC, right? We take DC of one voltage and convert it to DC of another voltage. So um, any conversion, um, that's the power electronics and that's that's our sweet spot. Very interesting. Let's go all the way back. Uh, I know you did your education in New Jersey at Princeton and then also in North Carolina, your master's. But I think in your note to me, you said you grew up in Central Florida. Is that right? This is true. Yeah, I grew up um, in Winter Park, Florida, just just north of, of Orlando. Um, it's funny, my my mom was always good with puns. So we we grew up near you know all the amusement parks, right, in, in, in uh, the Orlando area. So instead of the, uh, the the better mouse trap, my mom would say that we we lived in the world of the mouse that built the better tourist trap, and um, so yeah, I grew up down down in the land of, of Mickey Mouse. And the reason we moved uh, had ended up there was my father grew up on a sugarcane farm in South Florida. So my grandparents immigrated back uh, in the '30s. My grandfather was was quite the entrepreneur, so he. He co-founded co this uh, the sugarcane farm on the southern shore of Lake, Lake Okeechobee. Uh, yeah. He even uh, invented a harvester that was used in the industry for years. He got a patent on it and all that. So quite the entrepreneur. But um, so that was important for me because growing up, we'd go down there to the farm every once in a while. It was about you know three hours south of where we lived uh, in, in Orlando. And um, right before harvest season, they actually burn the sugarcane fields. So imagine this giant 40 acre sugarcane field and there are men walking through there with these kerosene torches, literally burning it. You think, yeah. what in the world is going on? You know, are you burning your crop right before you harvest it? Well, the answer is you're, you're burning off the, uh, the leafage, right? To make it easier to harvest. So after the, the fire runs through miraculously, it doesn't burn the stalks, but it burns the leaves, yeah. leaves yeah. the stalks and then psh, much easier to, harvest and so i witnessed this as a kid and i'm thinking holy crap look at this you know this this fire the smoke is this really deep dark brown and there's black ash raining down and you see all the animals running out of the fields the rabbits yeah. the birds trying to escape from the fire i think that was my first sort of exposure not not exposure but i should say my first time when i thought whoa we're doing something to the environment that just kind of doesn't look right. Uh, so that sort of set an imprint on me as I was growing up, we'd go down there and I'd see this and uh, be uh, a bit blown away. And, you know, later on in high school, uh, I got a bit older and uh, this would have been like the late eighties, early, early nineties. There's a lot of uh, uh, talk in, 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 the, in the press down in Florida about the pollution from yeah. the sugar industry, because 
for those who aren't familiar with with Florida geography, you know, you've got Lake Okeechobee, that's the big blue dot at Southern Florida, and you've got south from there, the Everglades, and right in between is where all the sugarcane is, is, is grown. So there's a natural water flow between Lake Okeechobee and the Everglades, and so it's flowing right through the sugar. Um, uh, the groundwater is flowing right uh, right beneath the, the sugar fields, and so that a lot of uh, pollution was getting, you know, agricultural pollution was getting into the Everglades. And so I developed this sort of awareness in yeah. uh, in high school about some of these impacts, and maybe I maybe I might might be overstating it, but uh, felt like I maybe carried some guilt about this. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. I was I developed sort of a, a geeky side and was doing science fairs and all that. And so when I got to college, I um, I got really lucky and kind of got connected up with a group in the uh, mechanical engineering department who was really um, influential in, in the renewable space, doing some really cool work. And I got involved with a research team that was specifically looking at um, uh, biomass gasification to be uh, you know, produce biogas that could be, you know, dried and cleaned and then run through gas turbines. So a, a pretty novel uh, renewable energy source. And um, so I came out of college as a, uh, I was a renewables guy, but I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. You know, I, uh, but, but well, I studied, that, biomass, there, I studied a little bit. Is there a link between the, the sugarcane operations and the biomass uh, op opportunity? You know, I, I, I've I've wondered that Ted. You know, I've I've thought about that. That I I I'm, I'm sure that there is some distant link. It, it turns out that there, really, what I was studying was was uh, switchgrass up in the 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 northern Great Plains. So so a rather different uh, uh, climate. But but I had you know thought about that. Hey, I wonder if my interest in these uh, in, in biomass um, dates back to uh, my 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 own family's uh, agricultural roots. But what actually happened though, Ted, was that uh, right after college and again i i knew i wanted to be in renewables or energy but didn't really know what to do and hmm. you know my, my my best friend at the time had had found he he, he had discovered this magazine that wasn't a magazine it was a, a real goods catalog and, and ted, i bet a lot of your listeners are familiar with with real goods it's yeah yep. it was founded by john schaefer in 1978 you know so uh, this thing um and it's a great catalog. It's still around today. You know, anyone who wants to to take their home off grid, their RV, they want batteries, they want solar. You know, you go to Real Goods and you can get your stuff. And they also had great articles. Yeah. So it wasn't just a, yeah. a, a yeah. catalog, but a really cool publication. So, so my best friend, he he found this thing, and it, you know, that I, I think of it as like it was almost like a like a like a middle school boy who'd found a play, Playboy magazine. Man, he this was his Bible. And uh, uh, he was an evangelist, and so I, uh, I, he got the solar bug, and I, and I, I think I, I caught it from him, so to speak. Yeah. And so my, my, uh, soon thereafter, my first real job was um, at the North Carolina Solar Energy Center in, uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. So that, that's what took me to North Carolina. Uh, he ended up going to the South Face Energy Institute in Atlanta, and uh, we've both been in the industry ever since. Great. Great. Oh yeah, South Face was a very influential organization. Yeah, and I was lucky. I I was pretty excited to be at the uh, North Carolina Solar Center. You know, we had some um, some really important people in the industry have gone through there. You know, guys like Larry Shirley, Bill Brooks, Steve Calland is still running the Solar Center there. And uh, yeah, it was a really influential time for me. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's fantastic. Then then off to ABB. It sounds like from your resume. 
Yeah, I spent some time at ABB, and that was um, that was a really interesting uh, uh, journey for me. You know, I started out there doing uh, inverter design. You know, we were basically trying to take motor drives and with a few uh, turns of the screws, so to speak, uh, turn them into photovoltaic inverters. You know, the funny thing about that, Ted, is that this is, you know, this is way back in uh, year 2000. And we were talking about a big solar inverter was uh, 40 kilowatts. So for, for your, your, your listeners who uh, know energy, you know, 40 kilowatts is a, that's a baby inverter today. Um, but, but at the time we were designing a big, a quote unquote, big 40 kilowatt, uh, inverter. Um, but yeah, I spent some time at ABB and, um, um, found myself, uh, kind of drifting away from renewables, which is why I ultimately left ABB was to sort of, um, uh, uh get back into the, uh, the, the solar side of the world. Right. Well, before we, before we leave, um, cause I think you were doing that DC to DC conversion work at, at ABB, right? Uh, that actually the DC the DC DC work that um, that 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 I was involved with that's 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 Dynapower uh, era that's that's quite a bit more recently that was that was work that um, we first started doing in oh I'm just going to say roughly five years ago five six five six years ago um, and uh, pretty pretty cool stuff we're still still doing a lot of DC DC work now it's, it's we've kind of made our name for ourselves in that uh, in that particular space. And what what would the application be? I mean, I, I always think of my solar system here on my roof. Power's coming off. It's DC. Uh, I, I've got a car over here uh, with a battery bank in it. Um, is that my is that my DC to DC opportunity? Sort of at a residential level. Is that the primary opportunity? Yeah, it's a good question. So the, the short answer is that probably not now we're not because we're not quite there yet so 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 probably what's happening at, at at your place or what what a lot of folks would have if they've got a solar array at home and they've got a their their car charger what's usually happening at you know nine times out of ten or more like 99 out of 100 is you know that solar dc is being converted to ac right and then that ac is then then being converted back to dc DC uh, for for the vehicle. So, um, so the DC DC work that that I'm referring to is more for these larger, what we call front of the meter uh, solar plus storage projects. So these are bigger sort of utility scale, typically utility scale type projects where um, every uh, every point of efficiency counts, right? Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, in order for uh, these these projects to to pencil out financially, um, it's really important. To, optimize them for for highest efficiency and so um in a lot of scenarios ted the 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 reason for doing the dc having this dc dc converter is imagine you've got this solar array and the solar is producing dc and then you're converting it to ac and, and pushing it out to the grid well what if you wanted to store some of that solar before yeah. you push it out to the grid and there are a lot of reasons to do this right there's um you may want to um you may be harvesting solar in the middle of the day and you don't need it, right? This is the, the, the famous California issue, what we call the duck curve, right? You have too much solar in the middle of the day. Well, hey, if you can store that, and there may be other reasons to, to store it as well, but if you can store it and then export it at times when the grid needs it, you know, hooray. So we've been doing this for years and years and years, but then the idea was, well, wait a minute. If we convert the DC solar to AC, and we got to convert that AC back to DC to charge the batteries. We're 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 being pretty inefficient about the whole 
things. So why don't we just keep it DC? And so we use the DC-DC converter to take that DC solar and then convert it directly into the right voltage for your DC batteries. Is it, now, this is going to seem like a really naive question to you, um, but I'm going to go for it. We're working for a golf club or golf course, uh, a, a club, a country club, and we're putting solar on their golf cart barn. Now, all those golf carts have a DC battery, right? And the solar is DC. Is there any way we can charge those directly and, and avoid that inefficiency of uh, converting to AC and then back to DC? You could. Like not, you yeah. could. I don't. You know, it's funny though. So, so, well, well, no, I'm not even going to say that to you because I, I'm going to I'm going to profess my ignorance because my, <laughs> my my you know our team's area of focus is really on these bigger systems. So yeah. I can I can talk your ear off about you know DC coupling for these larger front of the meter systems, but I couldn't even tell you, Ted. You know who has the equipment to do exactly what you're talking about, sort of at the. Um, uh, the commercial or, or small commercial scale, but the short answer is you absolutely could do that, yeah. um, and and there probably are people doing it. But I I don't want to um, I don't want to spread any false rumors one way or the other because I would be um, uh, way out of my league and talking about that. Stuff. Well, I th that's great. I, I I appreciate guys and gals that are just like, hey, I don't I don't know I don't know. I can get back to you on that if you want. Well, then how what scale are we talking? I. I took note when I was getting ready to interview you that you're, you're working with large scale battery storage systems. You said sort of, oh, you know, utility scale, but how many megawatts and megawatt hours are we, what is large scale where you start to pick up that efficiency that we're talking mm. about? Over a megawatt? So that, yeah, well, certainly well over a megawatt. And again, Ted, it's so funny how how the industry is is growing so fast that our our sense of of, of magnitude has changed. Yeah. Right, I was talking before about a, a large forty kW inverter, which is you know nowadays would be considered rather small. Um, so a a a large system these days would be something in the order of magnitude of of fifty to one hundred megawatts plus. OK, mm -hmm. so yeah. a, a 10 megawatt project and as, as crazy as this sounds, you know, we would consider a 10 megawatt project to be, um, you know, small to medium size. Right. Yeah. So so it's only when you when you get up between 50 and 100, do you start maybe calling it large. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting. I mean, listen, what that means is that the industry is is um, doing what it needs to do. Right. It's scaling up to actually have a material impact on the utility grid. You know, if we're still talking about, you know, one, two megawatts, that's fantastic. First of all, I should say, you know, the 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 one, two megawatt, the hundred kilowatt work at the, the commercial industrial level, we do a lot of that. And it's very important work. And we need that to continue. But at the same time, these these large grid scale projects are um, are having a, a hugely positive uh, carbon impact and um, they're getting bigger and bigger. And it's 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 pretty mind blowing. Yeah, Sometimes yeah, it is. Oh, it is. You're you're a battery you're a battery expert. I'm always asking this question to folks that are that are in the battery space. I always call you know where we're at is sort of the lithium ion revolution, right? Lithium ion batteries are just the rage. They're enabling the EV transition. They're coming into our homes, but a lot of experts don't don't think that's the ultimate chemistry. There's yeah. so many different chemistries. Are you are you optimistic that we're going to end up with a a better, a better, a better chemistry or, or better chemistries, plural.
Yeah, a, a, a better chemistry. So, yeah, so so I, I'm going to, you know, this is where I've got to be a little bit of a politician, if, if you know what I'm saying. So I, listen, I, the, the reality of the, the battery space right now is that there are a lot of emerging chemistry, you know, a lot of technologies coming into um, the space. There had listen. There have been for years. There, 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 there are many dozens of different viable uh, chemistries, and what we're seeing right now that I think is is interesting is there's a transition. And listen, you're absolutely right that right now lithium ion is the the, the heavyweight. I mean, you look at uh, the installations that are out there today; almost all of it is lithium ion. But the transition that 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 we're witnessing is that duration batteries. So lithium ion, for, for reference, is really great for applications where you need, um, you know, 30 minute storage, one hour storage, two hour, four hour. When we get above four hours of battery energy storage, typically that's when other chemistries become a, a more viable option hmm. than lithium ion. And so the story really is that there's there is a place for both lithium, the non-lithium chemistries as well. And what the market is saying though right now, and this is both domestically, but we're also seeing this internationally, Ted, is that there is greater and there's growing demand for longer duration storage. Yeah. So ergo, these non-lithium technologies are, are starting to see their their day in the sun, so to speak. And um, it's it's pretty exciting. We're seeing some very well-run companies uh do, you know bring these chemistries to market well, and, and and you know you know how it is that you, you you can have a great idea and 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 maybe not the best company or, or vice versa but you really need both so so we're seeing some yeah. some really great uh chemistries uh being uh promoted by some by some uh really solid companies and, and i'll tell you it's 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 exciting so um always a place for lithium <laughs> there always will be uh, yeah. And yet, there's there's growing space for some of the non-lithium ion uh, technologies as well. Very very impressive what's happening with uh, like EV range because of better and better batteries being manufactured at lower and lower costs. And then I know that you've been, I think you're bullish about hydrogen. I'm bullish about hydrogen, uh, green hydrogen. Are is that right that you're bullish about hydrogen? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It, and it's it's it is a it's a big. Um, yeah, it's a big transition that's happening right now, and it, that is the, um, the 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 investment that's going into these 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 green hydrogen projects. And of course, when you have to, I guess we should define what we're talking about. Why, why are we saying green hydrogen? You know, the the what's interesting is that not everyone's aware of this. That there's a a pretty massive hydrogen economy that's already out there, right? There, there's hydrogen being used today um, in all kinds of industries, right, from refining to to ammonia production. Uh, steel production, cement, et cetera, et cetera. So there's there's a big, big hydrogen economy, but it's being produced through, you know, fossil fuels, right? Coal, natural gas, that sort of thing. Uh, so when we say green hydrogen, we're talking about hydrogen that's being produced via solar, wind, or other renewable uh, assets. And so what's happening is typically green hydrogen is produced where you're taking, um, uh, uh, you know, quote unquote, green electrons from from renewables and uh, powering an electrolyzer, right? Where we imagine a, a, a tub of water. Again, I'm going to I'm going to oversimplify this, but uh, the, the electrolyzer manufacturers would hit me over the head if I if I tried to make it sound this simple. But basically, imagine you've got uh, your 
you're, you're splitting the water, right? You're, you're splitting that, that, that H2O molecule. You're just taking that tub of water. Power you're, take, you're taking the tub of water and just <laughs> dropping big power cords into that tub of water. <laughs> it, yes. That, that, that's, that's basically, I mean, there's, there's a little bit more going, going on there, but, but, but that's, that's basically it. So, 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 so we, so Dynapower, listen, we, we get really, when, when, when people say, Hey, we need, we need a whole lot of power or we, or we need a whole lot of DC power specifically, we get really excited because that's, that's uh, uh, what we're particularly good at. So we, we realized that we've been making these high power uh, rectifiers for, for other industries, other applications, including, you know, the one I described earlier, the, you know, for, for metal finishing, we said, well, wait a minute, this is more or less what the hydrogen electrolysis industry needs, right? Higher current, lower voltage DC. We're really good at that. And so we've gotten involved in that space and uh, working with a number of um, electrolyzer manufacturers. And um, it's it's very exciting. In fact, we're um, right now uh, working on a project, delivering units for a project in, in Utah. And um, which I think is a, it's a really cool story, Ted, because it's, it's sort of the next of, of, of green hydrogen and, and energy storage because you say, well, what, why are you doing a project in Utah? And the, the reason is there's these giant salt caverns in yeah. Utah. And um, they're using the salt caverns as the storage repository for this hydrogen that's going to be produced um, using uh, uh, solar uh, out there in, uh, in, in northwestern Utah. So it's an existing site. There's a coal plant there today. And they are 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 uh, using high current DC H or high high voltage DC HVDC to pipe that coal power down to Southern California. Ted, we want to keep your lights on down down in Southern <laughs> California. So so some of your, some of the power is coming from uh, coming from Utah, and uh, there's a big uh, effort underway, led by Mitsubishi and, and a number of other players, the Intermountain uh, Power Authority, to convert this into a green uh, facility with solar, uh, green hydrogen production, this massive storage facility underground. It's a great story of the Intermountain project. You know, I, I worked in LA in the power sector and a lot of the guys that were retiring had been part of building that power plant and all the transmission capacity down to LA and Southern California. And now it's being part of a whole master scheme involving involving hydrogen. Really, really interesting. I wanted to ask you about, because you had uh, sent me a note in of things that I might ask you about, and this piqued my interest, but you, you said growing a team of emerging, emerging industry leaders. And what do you mean by that? Well, I suppose, it, you know, Ted, you, you, you can see my gray hair. I know you, maybe your listeners can't, but, uh, you know, as, as, as I get, get a little more uh, uh, progressed in my career, I, I, I suppose I, I feel that a lot of my responsibility now and in, in, in energy and effort really should be toward um, trying to help uh, uh, build up the industry that, that is, you know, uh, help, you know, attract, recruit talent into the industry and, and, and get folks uh, excited about the kind of work that, that we're doing. And so, uh, you know, I'm now in a, in a, in a position at Dynapower where yeah, I'm responsible for for helping to build build a team, and it's great. it's a lot of fun, and it's and it's hard, but we have uh, we've got a great team, and, it, and and I think we do a pretty good job, um, 
really building a, a, a culture where uh, we've got folks who, who trust each other and, and, and have a good time and, and, you know, work hard, play hard. But it's, um, uh, again, I think a lot of what, what, you know, I have left to contribute to, to the industry is really more, uh, perhaps more on the, the, the people side than, than, than on the technology side. As much as I, I'm still, I still consider myself a geek and, and, and love to, uh, to get up to the whiteboard and draw diagrams of this, that, and the other. Uh, I think a lot of, uh, for folks like us who have been in the industry for a while, it's, it's, it's important to, um, help, uh, bring up that next generation. And so I, I, uh, enjoy the, the, you know, when I have time and, and uh, to, to really uh, spend time with, with uh, team members who are, are coming into this space. Really uh, wonderful, wonderful. And I, I, I love the, the, the transition from the technology to the, to, the, to the people and the emphasis and everything you said, I totally concur with. Now, I can't let you go without asking you about your, your passion for open water swimming, which I think means a whole bunch of crazies down at the shores of Lake Champlain and jumping into the water in the middle of the winter. Is that what you do? Well, yes, but let's be really clear. I'm not one of those, those, those crazy people who, who jumps in there in, in a speedo. So Ted, I, I, I've got a wet suit on just to be really clear, but, but yes, yes. I, uh, uh, suffice it to say, I did enough, uh, uh, running and, and playing football growing up that by my, my knees are, are, Maybe uh, uh, well, they've recently been through a little little uh, repair job. So uh, swimming has become my my new thing. And so yes, Lake Champlain, and yes, it gets cold in the winter time, but that's what wetsuits are for, right? That's right. Oh, how great! Wait, listen. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.